I'm excited this morning to begin a new sermon series from the book of 1 Timothy. And I would invite you to grab your Bible and just go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. This is where we will be this morning. This series of sermons, which will stretch over seven weeks, is called Everyday Discipleship. And these sermons are really built on two truths. The first is this. We are disciples of Jesus, if we are disciples of Jesus, before we are anything else. Before we are doctors or or lawyers or teachers or even preachers. My identity is not bound up in what I do up here each Sunday. Uh, It's bound up in who I am as a beloved child of God, who I am in Christ. And what I do and how I behave from Monday to Saturday, the rest of the week. We are disciples before we are Ethiopians or Norwegians or Americans, as proud as we are of our country. We are disciples of Jesus before we are Democrats or Republicans or Independents. And then the second truth is this. Being disciples affects everything else that we are. Being a disciple of Jesus informs all of your other associations and roles, and not the other way around. We don't want our other associations and roles primarily informing who we are as Christians, as believers. So not only is disciple of Jesus Christ, not only should that be at the top of your list of priorities, but that number one slot should inform all the ones that follow. In fact, it may be good to not even think of it as a list, but to imagine a wheel and your identity in Christ and your following Christ and your discipleship is the hub of that wheel. And the spokes that extend from that hub are all the other roles and facets of your life and your identity in Christ, your discipleship affects all, all else, everything else that comprises your life. So this series of sermons is all about how we are to follow Christ and how we can follow Christ every moment of every day throughout our lives. And our text this morning is 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12. And it begins with these three words. I thank him Paul writes, him meaning Jesus Christ. And before we go any further in this sermon, any further in this text, I believe we can confidently say, and this really is the big idea of our sermon this morning, we can confidently say that discipleship, that following Jesus Christ is built on a sense of gratitude for our Savior. Our discipleship is built on a sense of gratitude for our Savior. We are disciples of Jesus because we are grateful for who He is and what He has done for us. We find ourselves at the foot of the cross together, looking up at the one hanging there who was nailed to that coarse piece of wood because of my sin and your sin, He sacrificed Himself for the sins of the world. And for that, we 
are exceedingly grateful. And that's why we want to follow Him. And that's why we want to devote our lives to Him because He gave His life for us. So our discipleship is built on a sense of gratitude for our Savior. But I want to know, what is Paul thanking Jesus for specifically in our passage this morning that begins with 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12? Let's keep reading. I thank Him, Paul begins, who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. In these two verses, Paul gets very personal about his past. These are autobiographical verses of Paul. And we find others like them in his letters. This is a past that many of us already know about. We are quite familiar with the story of Paul or Saul. We remember in Acts chapter 7 when that mob descended upon Stephen, that early Christian disciple and and servant and preacher with stones in their hands, before whom did they lay their cloaks? Before they picked up those rocks to take Stephen's life. It was before Saul. And we are told in Acts chapter 7, actually at the beginning of Acts chapter 8, that Saul approved of Stephen's execution by stoning. He looked upon that event approvingly. And then we are told that this man, Saul or Paul, was one of the the ringleaders in a great persecution that came about against Christians, against followers of the way in Acts chapter 8. The language used by the writer of Acts in Acts chapter 8 verse 3 is, Saul was ravaging the church. He was going into home after home, dragging off men and women who confessed the name of Christ, committing them to prison. This is the kind of man we're talking about when we talk about Saul or Paul. This is who he was. And then in Acts chapter 9, we read in verse 1, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Threatening to kill those who believed on the name of Jesus Christ And at the beginning of Acts 9, he's traveling to the city of Damascus in order to bind up Christians and bring them bound back to Jerusalem and throw them in prison. And on the way, a great light shone about him and Jesus Christ himself appeared before him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And the rest is history. From that point, Saul is converted and baptized and becomes, you know, the greatest preacher and missionary and church planter of all time. But here... Paul references his past and he reminds Timothy of who he was and he marvels at the mercy of God for him. Paul, in essence, says here, I hindered others from coming to faith in Christ. And it's hard to imagine a worse sin than that. Keeping people from coming to faith in Christ. Paul says that was me. And now God has deemed me worthy of that same faith. I cannot believe it, Paul says. I cannot fathom the mercy and the grace of God. Wow. And so I thank him. What about your past? Maybe you sit here this morning and you think about Paul's past and you think, well, Paul 
Paul has a greater capacity for gratitude because he has a more reprehensible, notorious past. My past is not like Paul's. I mean, I've done some somewhat bad things, but I've never persecuted Christians. I've never thrown a, a, a believer in Christ in jail. I've never breathed threats of murder against them. Well, not so fast. Because persecution may not be in your past. You may have never violently persecuted people of faith, but sin certainly is in your past. It's in all of our past, and all sin, no matter what it is, separates us from God. Sin requires that we be reconciled to God. And sin, the payment for sin, we're told in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, is death. As sinners, that's what we deserve. Death and destruction and punishment. So that is where we're headed if we remain in our sin. That characterizes our past, just as it did Paul's. And so you can be just as grateful as Paul for the mercy that God has provided. And let me tell you, when you minimize the severity of your sin, which I'm afraid we are wont to do at times, we like to elevate the sins of others and minimize our own sins. But when we do that, we limit our experience of gratitude for our Savior. It's only when we understand the weight and the gravity of our own sin are we overcome with gratitude and thankfulness for our Savior as Paul is here and elsewhere. You can be just as grateful as Paul was for the mercy and the grace of God and for the purpose that he has infused into your life. Paul not only thanks God for his mercy, but he says, I'm thankful that he, he didn't just save me, he appointed me to his service. He gave me a job to do in his kingdom. He entrusts me with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. What about that? What about that? It's amazing. We can be just as grateful. In fact, I think we can say with Paul, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says, The saying is trustworthy and is deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And you know what? I'm the chief of sinners. I'm the foremost. Jesus Christ came into the world to save me. To save me. And so I'm grateful. We're grateful. Just as Paul was grateful. But this is not, this is not where Christian gratitude ends. This is only where it begins. Let's see what else Paul has to say about being grateful. I think about how toward the beginning of nearly every letter Paul writes, he expresses thanksgiving for the people to whom he writes. And I, I just want to share with you a few samples of this. And if you've read Paul's epistles, as many of you have, you are aware that towards the beginning, he offers a, a, a thanksgiving for the people to whom he writes. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. How about in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16? Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. I remember, in, I remember you in my prayers I ceaselessly, nonstop, am giving thanks for you. How about one more? Colossians chapter 1, 
Verse 3, Paul writes, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We always thank God for you. So Paul is not only grateful for the mercy that he's received, he knows that Christianity is not an individual venture. It's not just about the grace that has been poured out into his life. He is thankful for the mercy that others have received and for their faith and for their love that followed and for the way that they had all, all the believers, all the brothers and sisters near and far that Paul knew, that he had, had gotten to know in the flesh, you know, that he wrote to, thankful for the way that they had all been joined into the same community, stitched into the same family. And listen, he was thankful for them, not because they were perfect. We know, Paul says to the believers in Corinth, I am thankful for you. And we know they weren't perfect. We know they, they were, that church was replete with problems and issues. And they were falling short of God's will in so many ways. But still, he said, I'm thankful for you. Not because you're perfect. Not because you got it all together. Not because you've dotted every I and crossed every T. Not because you see every issue in the way that I see it. But not because you're perfect, but because along with Paul, they were being perfected by God's gracious work. Listen, if we wait to be thankful for our brothers and sisters in Christ until they are completely mature in the faith, until they no longer do or say anything that hurts our feelings or offends us, if we wait until that day to be thankful for them, well, that day's never going to come. We are going to be waiting for the rest of our lives. So Paul teaches us to be thankful for one another, even though none of us have quite gotten there. Even though God is not quite finished in our hearts and in our lives, forming us into the people that he wants us to be. Paul was full of thanksgiving for fellow brothers and sisters. And listen to the way that Paul speaks about gratitude more broadly. I, I want to share... Several verses, or three verses rather, with you. The first, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, where Paul famously says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, and I have with thanksgiving underlined on the screen here, but I really wish that I had underlined everything, because that is the emphasis that I want to place on this verse. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Be thankful in everything. How about Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20? Giving thanks. And again, if I could go back, I would underline always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then one more, Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him in everything. Give thanks in everything throughout life. So our lives should not just be punctuated by gratitude. They should be permeated with it. They should be saturated with it. Expressions of gratitude to our God should endlessly be in our thoughts and on our tongues. 
Are you someone, are you a believer, are you a Christian who is overcome, who is overwhelmed, as Paul was, with gratitude for the salvation that God has provided for you, though you do not and did not deserve it, though you did nothing to earn it. You know, the New Testament, the New Testament even tells us to be grateful for hardship, for difficulty, for adversity. James says in James chapter 1, verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it all joy. I mean, I can understand if James were to say, get through it the best you can. Persevere, endure, bear up under that pressure. Do all you can. No, he says, even more than that, count it all joy. Be grateful when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So God does some of his best work in some of our most difficult circumstances. And that is why we can be grateful. Even for the tough stuff. Even for hardship. Even for difficulty. We can count it all joy because through those things, God is bringing us to maturity. And to completion as believers. And we know from the cross. We know from looking at the cross. That God can take the very worst experiences. And bring about good for us. And glory for him. That is the promise. That Paul makes. When he says God. Brings about good from everything. For those who love the Lord. So I can say as a Christian, I can say with Paul, with his words from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14, the grace of my Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. That's 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14. Overflowed. I, you, we have been bountifully Abundantly filled to running over blessed. And like the hymn writer said, To God thy gifts are strewn upon my way like sands upon the great seashore. Like sands upon the great seashore. So abundant are his blessings. They are like sands beneath your feet as you're walking along the beach. If we're only willing to see. If we're only willing to look for them, we will find them there. And they are bountiful. Our big idea this morning, discipleship, our following Jesus, is built on a sense of gratitude for our Savior. A grateful heart is a distinctive mark of a disciple of Jesus. It's the Thankfulness is the fruit of following Christ. And so this morning, if your heart is filled with bitterness and resentment, if you're nursing a grudge, if you're struggling with envy or greed, if you're consumed with fear and anxiety, overcome with anger and rage, well listen, it is fair to wonder whether you've been discipled 
by someone other than Jesus. Because those things are not the fruit of His Spirit. And those attitudes cannot coexist with the gratitude that is to spring up and to bloom in our lives as followers of Jesus. You know, your mind is, is like a magnet. Your mind is like a magnet. If you have it set to negativity, then when you run it over your life, over your daily life, do you know what that magnet is going to pick up? It's going to pick up all the filings, the, the bad stuff, the frustrations, the disappointments, the negative thoughts. That's what it will attract. But if you have your mind, the magnet, set to positive thinking, to gratitude, then when you run it over your daily life, when you, when you run it over your course of existence, what kind of filings will it attract? The blessings. The gifts. The good things that God has showered upon each of us. You see, allowing God to produce within you a grateful heart and mind is a game changer. It will transform your life in terms of how you live and look at the world. I shared this quote recently on a Wednesday night. I want to share it again. It's from an author named Melody Beatty. She writes, Gratitude can turn a meal into a feast. A house into a home. A stranger into a friend. It makes sense of our past. It brings peace for today. It creates a vision for tomorrow. Such is the power of gratitude in our lives. So this morning, I encourage you, I urge you today to gratefully accept the offer of salvation. From your God, if you have not done so, if you have not confessed the name of Christ, if you've not turned away from your sins, if you've not been baptized so that those can be washed away, this is your time. This is your moment, and you can come with a grateful heart and receive the best gift that has ever been offered to humanity salvation and life and relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Or if you're struggling with sin, if your life has veered off course, you can come and gratefully receive, as a baptized believer, the gift of forgiveness. Knowing that when you confess your sins to God, He is faithful and just to forgive you of those. Or, if you're struggling in some other way and you've been praying about it, but you'd like to request the prayers of people who love you, people who share your faith, brothers and sisters in Christ, your church family, you can come this morning and you can ask for prayers. We, we want to come alongside you. We want to be a strength and encouragement to you. If you have a need for any of these things and more, then please come forward right now as we stand and sing.